Truth Espresso, episode 266. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello there friends, family, foes, and of course, lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, for another episode of Truth Espresso. And in this episode, I'm going to get into another text of scripture that people might struggle with. So one of those difficult passages of scripture. And that is going to be Philippians 2.12, where the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, of course, we'd like to focus on that imperative there, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, Paul, what are you saying here? I mean, Paul, aren't you the salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, apostle? Well, you know, if you believe the Word of God teaches that concept, and Paul's the one who makes that the most clear, the most dogmatic, why would he say this? Why would he say to work out your own salvation? And why would he say to do that with fear and trembling? Don't we have assurance of salvation? And does this mean, according to Paul, that we have to work for our salvation? Well, if we read the verse again, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say work for. It doesn't say ice or into or for. The Greek word ice is often used for for or into or with the result that. So the Apostle Paul does not say work for your salvation. Does this verse mean that we have to worry constantly about our justification before God? So, if Paul is not saying that we have to work for our salvation, is he at least saying that we have to worry about our salvation? We have to have fear and trembling, wondering if we're saved. Do we have to worry constantly about our justification before God? Well, let's look at the word for work out there. It comes from the Greek word katergazomai, which the word, of course, can have many different uh, contexts of how it is used. It can mean outwork or work out. It can mean you wrought something or you fashioned something. So, lexically, Paul could be saying, work your own salvation, make it happen. So it can mean to produce if we just take these words at face value. But again, we can also ask the question, does the word salvation there have to mean justification? The word salvation, especially in the New Testament, can have different uses. It can mean deliverance from calamity. It can refer to sanctification also, or even final glorification. 
So, what does the Apostle Paul mean then? We can do some word studies, or we can see from studying the context of this verse what Paul indeed meant by work out your own salvation. So, in looking at the context, I want to observe different aspects of evidence that will point to, that will give us an idea of what the Apostle Paul means. So, the first point I want to observe is that sanctification is in the context. Because if we look at the immediate context, the next verse, the Apostle Paul says, Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, if God is working in you, how can the Apostle Paul really mean that you autonomously are creating or working for your own salvation if, because it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure? So, if God is doing something in you, then how can you really be working for your own justification? Unless sanctification is what Paul has in mind, like you're continuously working to become more Christ-like. Now, if we look at the context of the previous chapter, just jump back there for more context, we see in Philippians 1.6 that the Apostle Paul says, "...being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." So, if Paul is confident that God began a work in you and that he will continue to perform it, that he will perfect it, that he will make it happen and will make it grow in you, will shape you, will mold you until the day of Jesus Christ, as in until Jesus returns, or of course, you pass from this world and then you meet Jesus Christ, so, if Paul is confident about that, then how could he also, on the other hand, tell people that they have to worry about their own justification before God? So, it does seem, number one, that the context of Paul's words, the immediate context, shows sanctification, and the previous chapter, Paul also makes a similar statement about personal sanctification. So, sanctification could be what Paul has in mind when he gives this command here. Now, the second bit of context that I'd like to see to observe is that of humility. So, we looked at the next verse, Philippians 2.13, talking about sanctification. But then, if we look at the verse after that, Philippians 2.14, the Apostle Paul says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So, in this, he seems to be talking about our relationship with fellow believers or other members of the body of Christ, the church. And he's talking about how we should handle each other. Don't murmur about each other or to each other and don't dispute with each other. Now, we can look at some more context to see that this is also part of the context. So, earlier in the chapter, close to the beginning, we see in Philippians 2 verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, "...let nothing be done through strife or vainglory." 
but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So the Apostle Paul has in mind something to talk about in this chapter, where he talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that as we relate to each other, we need to avoid strife. We need to not strive with each other or to try to puff ourselves up, vainglory, but rather to have lowliness of mind. In other words, humility. And, of course, if you're familiar with Philippians chapter 2 and what follows from Paul's admonition to humility, we have the great passage called the Carmen Christi. So, Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11, Paul gives Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. And I've talked about the Carmen Christi on this podcast quite a while ago. I've had some episodes going through this passage and examining the verses to demonstrate that the Apostle Paul is teaching the doctrine of the Incarnation, that Jesus Christ indeed is eternally God and that he voluntarily took upon himself the full nature of a human being and therefore was the one person of the Son of God with two full natures, divinity and humanity, and that this action of taking on the human nature while not diminishing the divine nature is indeed the greatest example of humility, because humility isn't changing your nature. Humility is placing yourself voluntarily under what is your equal. Because the Apostle Paul said, let each esteem other better than themselves. So if everyone is to esteem each other better than themselves, how do we recognize our relationship to each other? Well, we're all equal in the sight of God, in the value of God as saints in his body, but we are as equals to esteem each other better, as in to place ourselves under in humbly serving each other. And Jesus is the ultimate example because of how he condescended, not by changing himself. That wouldn't be an example for us to follow by changing ourselves. But, of course, we can't take on a second nature. But Paul's point is that Jesus was the ultimate example of humility by becoming a servant. He took on humanity and he served humanity. And then, therefore, even though he submitted to the death of the cross, the cross death, God the Father highly exalted him. So, if you want to be exalted, the example of Jesus is ultimate humility. And then, after the Carmen Christi, which is a good part of the context of our verse in question, because this is where our verse in question follows. Paul gave the admonition for humility and regarding each other. Paul gave the illustration of that humility by how the Son of God condescended as Jesus of Nazareth and submitted himself to death, even the cross death. And because of his humility, he's exalted. And then, now let's look at our verse in question, Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, my beloved... 
as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Whatever Paul means by work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we're to see that Jesus is the example and that there's an angle of humility behind what Paul is saying here. Humility toward each other. How is your flame of truth, Christian? Is it burning bright? Hi, I'm Rebecca Bershwinger, creator and host of One Little Candle, a weekly podcast dedicated to encouraging, empowering, and equipping believers to be the light that God has called us to be, so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. So join me and light your own little corner of the world. You can listen to One Little Candle on all major podcast platforms or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And now the third point of context here is that of testimony. So we observe from some of the things that Paul says in this chapter and in the previous chapter is that of our testimony to the world. So working out salvation was to demonstrate the faith and hope that the Philippians had to an evil and persecuting world. Paul's bondage in Rome helped to spread the gospel. If we see in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul says, But I would, or I desire, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul talks about persecution and his bondage in Rome and how this works out to spread the gospel. And then later on in chapter 1, or toward the end of it, we observe that our persecution evidences our salvation. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29, the Apostle Paul says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, I know much could be made of verse 29, where the Apostle Paul says it is given to you in the behalf of Christ to believe on him. Take that how you would like to understand that, but however it is given to us to believe on him, it's also given to suffer for his sake. Because the evidence of your adversaries persecuting you is that of salvation, and salvation is of God. So, our persecution that we face is evidence of our salvation? Well, that seems to be what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And now we also see in chapter 2, verse 15, for the context of working out our salvation is the idea of shining in the darkness because our verse in question is 2.12, but 2.15, so three verses down, the Apostle Paul says, 
that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So, we've seen some verses in Philippians chapters 1 and 2 to give us some context about what Paul could mean by working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The first one is that he could be talking about sanctification. The second one is that of humility, how we should treat each other. And that the ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ. And then the third example of context is that of testimony and how our persecution is to further the gospel and is evidence of our salvation and how we should treat this persecution in a way that it makes us lights in the world. And so what are we to make of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Have I even explained exactly what that means? Well, without being a Greek expert and really seeing that the words themselves could lexically teach producing salvation, I think the context helps us to understand what Paul really means by that. Because I think the key word in Paul's admonition is not the word for work out, but I think the key here and the emphasis here is your own. And you might think, Daniel, how does that even change anything? Well, I think the emphasis is that Paul is basically saying, look, deal with your own thing. Stop being so concerned about other people's salvation and deal with your own. It seems to me that this could be one of Paul's quips to people in the church. It seems like he's saying, mind your own salvation. Hey, you who are so concerned about other people standing before God or if they're doing things right, hey, mind your own business, mind your own salvation. That's the most important thing that you need to be concerned about. He's not saying to work for your salvation. He's basically saying, hey, just mind your own salvation, okay? Stop envying and striving, chapter 1, verse 15. Stop looking only after your own desires, 2, verse 4. Stop murmuring and disputing, 2, 14. Stop seeking your own wants above others, 2, 21. Start learning truth and growing in discernment, 1, 9. Start being like-minded for the same goal of furthering the gospel, 2-2. Start esteeming others above yourself, 2-3. Start looking after the needs of others, 2-4. So essentially, what Paul is saying, we know that we are all different, but we should have a unity. Well, if we're all different, then what kind of unity should we have? We should have a unity of love and mind, as we see in Philippians 1.27 and 2 verse 2. Therefore, when it comes to yourself, stop comparing yourself to others. Stop being a busybody with everyone else's place before God. Work out your own salvation, Paul is saying. God works in you for his pleasure. When it comes to others, humble yourself 
and regard others more. Look after their needs. Jesus is your example. So Paul has a message to us about how we should think about ourselves, how we should think about others, and how we should think about Christ. When we read verses like this, all we see is text on a page. We might not be able to capture the full intonation that the Apostle Paul would have if he's saying this verse verbally, audibly to people, because intonation can communicate things. So I think Paul is basically saying, hey, stop worrying so much and comparing yourself to other people in the church here and quarreling and striving. Humble yourself. Jesus is your example. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And God is what works in you. So if God is working in you to do of his own pleasure, then stop being so concerned about whether your fellow member is doing everything right to your satisfaction and you're trying to puff yourself up or if anyone is worthy of this position, then it is I and not you. So, Philippians 2.12 is simply not teaching salvation by works. The emphasis is on, hey, if you're concerned about the salvation of people, stop being so concerned about them. Work out your own salvation. He could even be somewhat exaggerating a little, or, you know, I would suggest he's talking about sanctification there. Just deal with your own salvation and stop focusing on other people so much that way. It's teaching how we should focus on ourselves, our own sanctification, how we should focus on each other, humility toward each other, and how we should focus on Christ because he is the greatest example of humility, how he treated others, and he is exalted such that we should bow the knee to him. So, I didn't come at this episode with some great exegesis, because I think the context helps us to get the gist of what Paul is saying, the emphasis that he's saying. It's about sanctification, it's about humility, it's about testimony, it's about stop focusing on what you think are the problems of other people and resolve to make yourself better. And how do you make yourself better? Humble yourself. When it comes to other people, stop striving and putting them down. Help them. Humble yourself and esteem them better. And we all should be unified in love and the same mind as in the same goal, because Christ is our head. Christ is our example. Let's bow the knee to Christ together. And let's all work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who saves. It is God who justifies. It is God who sanctifies. It is God who glorifies. And before we start looking to cut each other down, let's take the beam out of our own eye before we pluck the speck out of our brother's eye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth Espresso, and stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day.
Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.